0: Good morning, good morning, everyone.
1: Aloha.
2: Oh, hell no. Nah. How did cold get in here before me? <laughs> I know, right? Happy Talk about it Tuesday.
1: Aloha from Hawaii.
3: Aloha, nui loa. Wow.
0: Get your morning dance on.
2: Oh, yeah. Y'all know what time it is. It's time for me to fold some clothes. Mm -hmm. Can't wait to hear some of this talk about it tuesday spice
0: choco taco tuesday it's like how about a medicated taco dude
2: something i'd uh, enjoy filling my tortilla with what's your favorite kind of taco uh, jason
4: fish taco.
0: What about the choco taco? All right, here we go. Good morning, everyone. Hi. Um, welcome to the State of Cannabis News Hour, where we bring you all of the top stories you need to know and talk about them for four minutes and twenty seconds. We are a group of experts in different cannabis spaces with a wide diversity of perspectives and life experiences. Our news is bite sized and infused, so our um, with a nice mix of facts, opinions, our special blend of spice, and we do go heavy on the humor for this extra spicy serving of news for you today it 's Tuesday june 28th almost uh, july and this is episode number 311. i'm liz rogan an 18-year cannabis industry veteran and founder of the cannabis business council of santa barbara county and though i've worn many hats in the industry i'm currently working as a brand strategist wellness consultant and event planner I personally have the honor of standing in today for cannabis's favorite grandma, Susan Soares, AKA Nanogram. If you are listening to the podcast, the show is live every weekday at 9 a.m. Pacific on Clubhouse. Spark it up with us and over 31,000 State of Cannabis news hour members if you want to be an audience participant. Seriously, it's a session you don't want to miss. So please support our show by subscribing and leaving us a review. Today, we're talking about Vermont wanting to limit plastic waste from the cannabis industry, High THC is needed for chronic pain. Is cannabis more likely to send you to the emergency room? 12 applicants for one license in Florida for a black farmer and many other frosty nuggets. So stay tuned for the full 60 minutes.
5: The following program contains coarse language and nudity. Viewer discretion is advised
0: audience feel free to raise your hands if you want to weigh in after in a headline after it's been read and we'll try to bring you up to the stage keep it brief and relevant or you may get the gong (sighs) kicking off the show today is rico Lamite. he likes to ask the tough questions that mainstream media refuses to ask rico always brings the fire and he's our top shelf sticky icky that helps hold our team together through these midsummer heat waves the self-proclaimed dopest dad alive is here to encourage other dope dads. Find him on TEDx or at one of his Cannavision events, but always find him here every weekday as a co-producer of the State of Cannabis News Hour. What do you have for us today, Rico?
2: Oh yeah. So my story is coming up the Daily Mail by Millie Vetch. Cruz Beckham, 17, sports a gold cannabis design necklace as he opts for a very edgy look for Kenzo show during Paris Fashion Week. Edgy indeed, maybe for the 70s, am I right, Susan? <laughs> Last week I was up, uh, appointed by Jason Beck as the State of Cannabis Hour's very own in-house entertainment celebrity trash tabloid peddler, an esteemed title I promised to never take lightly. And the point of me choosing today's Talk About It! Tabloid Tuesday article wasn't to agree with the young Beckham's edginess on display at Paris Fashion Week, but rather to expose the reefer madness propaganda machine still working overtime to demonize a plant that's produced medicine for thousands of years and healed millions of ailments along the way. For those of you choosing not to care much about the heir to a billion-dollar fortune by way of tabloid mainstay parents David Beckham and Posh Spice, I'd like to kindly ask you, to uh, um, ask you in my reimagined Anna Delvey accent to quit being basic and realize this is the shit that really matters. Grabbed directly from Daily Mail's website his front page story yesterday before being picked up by Growth Op and a few more cannabis-specific websites. The untrained eye may be wondering why this is even being covered. It's not to focus on the rich kid's best attempt at Backstreet Boys' Nick Carter cosplay. The real answer is between the lines. 17 years ago, an effortlessly cool Cruz Beckham was water birthed into a gene pool of unmatched, edgy, smile-free coolness of a Spice Girl and Soccer Dad legend. Nah, let me quit playing. Uh, There's two reasons this shit was front page on UK's number three news and media platform, liberal parent shaming and clicks. Can you believe they let him wear a marijuana leaf? Knowing the UK's rapidly evolving political stance on cannabis, a conservative tabloid rag focusing on liberal parents in the public eye making subjectively bad choices, stirs up their base and brings out the worst of trolls waiting to pounce on worthless trash headlines like this one, and draws in triggered liberals on standby to duke it out in the comment section. Kind of similar to the shit I hear goes down in our very own back channel chat. We Charms recharm we necklaces were already passe and losing their quote unquote edginess back when I was in high school in the late 90s. To shame parents for letting him wear it is not just lazy, but also ignoring the fact that he was at Paris Fashion Week. Given the amount of money his family's bank accounts have, this outfit was probably most likely put together by a hired stylist. And why is nobody talking about whom he was seen taking pictures and hanging out with all weekend? Jaden Smith, 23 years old, Justin Timberlake, 41 years old, and Jessica Biel, 40 years old. Though a bit reaching, in my opinion, that should have been the focus of this article instead of that ugly-ass Wee Why the fuck are three grown-ass American adults hanging out in Paris with a British 17-year-old? Are we supposed to forget about Prince Andrew's decades of palling around with Jeff Epstein? Or maybe we can look to Cruz's dad, David, for some answers. As we've covered previously, he's the top investor of British CBD company Cellular Goods, who's currently engaged in a highly publicized legal battle with Instagram, claiming the company's shadow banning was unwarranted and calling for the platform to loosen its rules around cannabis advertising. Could it be Papa Beckham pulling the media strings here? Either way, I think the story is dumb as shit, lazily written, and hopefully a sign of things to come as global reefer madness's what about the children propaganda campaigns begin breathing their last gasps of life, and dope parents everywhere can finally use global media platforms to educate their kids on cannabis's long list of benefits instead of a tool for misinformation and shame. And finally, while I don't think it's a coincidence, our very own boof-free bloke, Jason Beck, was just out in London a few weeks ago. And I'll hold back on that lead until we receive receive more information. This is Rico Lemaitre, dopest dad on the street for the State of Cannabis News Hour. Love to hear the rest of y'all's thoughts and theories on this one. Why?
4: I'm just wondering if Victoria picked it out for him because I I I just I can't imagine that she would pick that out for him.
1: During the Global Health Summit, we learned about the UK's history, specifically Queen Elizabeth's reign as the head of a cartel for the monarchy, um, pumping heroin and opioids into China for decades, um, using cocaine herself and marijuana to help with menstrual cramps and anxiety. Um, I think that if the people of the UK knew this history about their fair queen, that they would be uprisings in the streets now that they're fighting to have access to medical cannabis.
2: I mean, it's it's willful for for ignorance at its best.
4: How did the queen digest cocaine?
1: How did she not, Jason? She used it um, to help with pain management. So she used it in tea. She used it in a tincture. She,
4: She poured it in her tea, you know?
3: Yeah, in the late 19th century, it was uh, cannabis and, and other, like cocaine, were used as tinctures. And fun fact, too, uh, Queen Victoria's doctor, an Irishman, I can't remember his last name, but he's the first person that identified uh, cannabis indica as sort, of sort of the more psychoactive, uh, and, she, and he was prescribing it to her. Facts.
2: Can someone comment on uh, the fact that Cruz Beckham looks like a knockoff Nick Carter?
5: <laughs> that was really funny. That was really funny. But you mean like who didn't buy like a, you know some kind of weed emblem when we were in high school at a reggae concert or who knows what, right? Whatever. That's just not targeting behavior. Uh, you know what I would, what I'm more upset about are the brands that purposely market to kids, right? I mean the ones that make an effort to sell in stores that are purposely marketed to kids. That that does annoy me.
2: I agree. Let's keep it moving here. The longest continuously operating retailer has stepped off his private jet to bless us all, all of our ears with a little bit of conservative hope. <laughs> Dedicated to smoking the the best weed in the world and the identification of an eradication of Booth worldwide. You can catch him in WeHo as the president of Cannabis Tourism or downtown L.A. making deals at Green Street, but chances are you will not find him on Truth social and not because uh they're going to be scratched <laughs> from the face of the earth and uh it brought up in subpoenas on the january 6 hearings jason beck what do you have for us today
4: well good morning rico good morning everyone happy happy tuesday boy do i have a doozy for you guys today because the police they found a legal pot hidden under a house Yes, that's right, under a house. Police say they discovered approximately 2,500 pounds of illegally processed marijuana hidden under a house in outbuildings during a bust, uh, During a bus south of Grants Pass. The, the processed marijuana was packaged into plastic tubs and clammed into a space beneath insulation and pipes, according to photos from Josephine County Sheriff's Office. The June 22nd raid revealed about 700 marijuana plants growing in greenhouses at the property in the 4000 block of Cloverton Drive. The marijuana was seized and destroyed, the sheriff's office said. The Josephine County Marijuana Enforcement Team executed a search warrant at the assistance of the Rogue Area Drug Enforcement Team. That's right, you guys, That that's what it says, the Rogue Area Drug Enforcement Team, the sheriff's office said. During the search, police also seized approximately one and a half pounds of methamphetamine and multiple guns, including a modified short, shot, uh, excuse me, a modified short barrel shotgun, the sheriff's office said. Shortened shotguns, sometimes known as sawed off shotguns, are easier to conceal and used and use in tight spaces such as close-range combat inside buildings. A shorter barrel also can cause shotgun pellets to scatter over a wider area, increasing the chance the shooter will hit a person, according to gun experts. Tong Mi, Ming Chang, 41, was arrested and lodged at Josephine County Jail on charges of unlawful possession of a shotgun, of a short barrel shotgun, unlawful manufacture of marijuana, unlawful possession of marijuana, unlawful delivery of marijuana and unlawful possession of methamphetamines, the sheriff's office said. Hold on, here's the best part for you guys. He was released from jail after posting a $5,000 bond, according to the court records. Court records show Chen was convicted of reckless driving in 2019. In 2020, he was arrested and attempted uh, uh, he was arrested on attempted murder charges and animal abuse during drug uh, and drug charges after someone allegedly shot a dog that ran onto a cloverdale uh marijuana grow and those charges were later dismissed in 2021 chen was convicted of fleeing attempting to elude police sounds like he's going to continue to do the same thing as soon as you guys have just let him out on five thousand dollars bail but it sounds like a failure to appear is in the future for this guy but nonetheless this is jason beck reporting for the state of cannabis news hour
2: Where do you hide your illegal pot, Jason?
4: I don't hide my illegal pot. I smoke it.
0: (laughs) Is this really, like, a news story, honestly? (laughs) Right. Sorry. Fuck. (laughs) I'm just like, dude, really? Like...
2: (laughs) I think the link is broken, too.
4: (laughs) No, you just gotta, like, refresh it. But that's how I got the story, bro. I was fucking dying when I read it. (laughs) The fuck,
2: illegal pot hidden under house in Oregon.
4: <laughs> like, go
0: figure. Like what? <laughs> well, dude, they're trying to deal with those taxes and all that oversupply and stuff. Maybe they're just stashing it till next year or something.
2: Well, they just send it to Oklahoma. You can at least get a couple hundred bucks for it, you
4: know. Oh no, not off the prices. I just saw it off uh, in Oklahoma. They got that low, 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 low.
2: Right, that's what I'm saying. So like what was it like a, a, a thousand to one ratio? Um, like the price, like Oregon price to real price. <laughs> Oregon, Oregon was the first place the market really, really bottomed out. And I think
4: that it bottomed out somewhere around like three dollars a gram, something like that.
2: No, um, I think it was like I think it was like even less than that. I think it was like two like two dollars per gram at at one point. I mean when it's like, three dollars. What the $2, fuck, $2, dude? Like, like how is anybody making even, any money? It doesn't
4: even matter. What's the point?
2: trap or die let's keep it moving who we got next jason
4: coming up next to the stage she's a political strategist by day and a baker by night a true female multitasker who can not only bake up a storm but also knows how to make the sausage on capitol hill she's the founder of panoptic strategies and our very own washington insider taking off the apron it's none other than gretchen Gayle.
6: Good afternoon. My headline is coming from Marijuana Moment um, and the headline is Congressional Leaders Push Marijuana Protections for Athletes and Federal Workers in New Spending Legislation. Uh, House Appropriations Committee leaders have included even more marijuana provisions in newly released spending bills and attached reports, including a a novel section that encourages sport regulators to push international officials to, quote, change how cannabis is treated when it comes to suspending athletes from competition over positive tests. The past week has seen a flurry of marijuana proposals included in appropriation legislation that covers fiscal year 2023 funding for various federal agencies. The latest bills and report deals with spending packages for the departments of labor and health and human services and education as well as financial services and general government. Many of the sections have largely carried over from past measures such as protections for universities that research cannabis and a requested review of federal drug testing policies. But for FSGG, there's a new report language addressing an issue that came to the forefront last summer after U.S. Sprinter Shikari Richardson was suspended from an Olympic event due to a positive test for THC. The suspension made international headlines, received attention from the White House, and prompted the World Anti-Doping Agency to initiate a scientific review to determine whether it's appropriate to continue penalizing athletes over marijuana, treating it like a performance-enhancing drug. Appropriators are now requesting action from the U.S. sports regulators. U.S. Anti-Doping Agency. The U.S. Anti-Doping Agency manages the anti-doping program for all U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee-recognized sports, which includes a program for testing athletes for performance-enhancing substances to ensure clean competition. The committee urges, encourages USADA to support additional research on the effects of cannabis on athletic performance, including whether marijuana use during the in-competition period delivers performance-enhancing efforts and to engage in efforts to change how cannabis is treated under the World Anti-Doping Code and World Anti-Doping Agency prohibited list. The FSGG report also more broadly addressed drug testing requirement for federal workers, as previous versions have done in the past, but this time there's a new line that specifically urges the executive branch to apply drug testing standards with consistency and fairness. Meanwhile, in the education spending bill, there's again a section that would prevent the Department of Education from penalizing universities simply because the institutions are conducting research into marijuana. And to the disappointment of reform advocates, however, the legislation maintains an existing rider that many feel inhibits research into the risk and benefits of Schedule I drugs such as cannabis and certain psychedelics. The HHS, the HHS Bill section to change the names of various federal agencies and programs to swap out stigmatizing language for more neutral titles dealing with drugs and alcohol. Uh, For example, it proposes to change the National Institute on Drug Abuse to the National Institute on Drugs and Addiction. Um, I see these changes as positive changes for the federal government to be looking at these things, Uh, but once again, it appears that most of their language looks at uh, research um, and starting to care about things. It doesn't take on uh, a great deal of action, Um, but I do think it's encouraging that they are starting to pay more attention. Um, and it will be interesting to see um if any of this really does make a difference uh, when it comes to future athletes. Uh this scratching for State Academy Ce are
2: I just hope this this goes through like straight up, so athletes can actually use real medicine and not have to deal with uh, the opioid bullshit that is pushed upon us.
4: What do you think is the likelihood of this going anywhere, Gretchen?
6: Well, I mean, they did attach it to a spending bill, so people love to pass spending bills. Um, And truly, like I said, I mean, this doesn't have real teeth to it. I mean, it says that they are going to, you know, encourages support of additional research. It means like, please look at pot. Oh, you don't want to? All right. Fuck it. I mean, it doesn't really do that much. Uh, The fact that they're willing to take it on and say something. I don't know if it, I mean, Joe Biden said he was willing to take on pot and look at it and he didn't do a damn thing. So, I mean, I think it can pass. Will it actually matter? Who knows?
4: So it's going to pass and it's a do nothing bill. Uh,
6: Possibly. Uh, but they've never looked at it before. So to have it be something that maybe someone will consider, I do like that they're trying to change stigmatizing language. Um, I think that's a very cute, sweet way to start addressing drug policy. It'd be nice if they started doing something a little more substantive, Uh, but we're the same people who always get hot and bothered uh, when they spell marijuana with an H and, you know, freak out that they're not doing more. So this is them taking first steps.
2: Are you saying like people like to load load up spending bills with a bunch of fucking pork? And this is the pork that they always talk about? I
6: love pork people don't understand pork can be a good thing in washington it actually gets shit done um the fact that pork was made into such a criminal don't even get me started um but if you want to get things passed in washington yes it's a good vehicle to put it on a spending bill
4: but does it doesn't appropriate any funds for any of these actions
6: it's encouraging research so i would so hope it's that it's appropriating is- some money to do that research i would hope
4: that's the pork-free portion of the bill, basically.
6: It doesn't lay out, you know, 50 grand will be put forward to looking at this, no. But these things generally don't. Uh, usually the money's worked out later. So it'll. we'll see if they do something. I think we should move on. Liz Rogan, who do you think should be up next? I think it should be Nicole Buffon.
2: <laughs> Gretchen doesn't like the question.
6: <laughs> I got no problem with the question. I, I care about fine. my fellow correspondents. Let's
5: she do it. She does not like the correspondents. No, she's, she's handling these questions the perfectly. Are you
2: kidding me? Let's, 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 keep, let's, keep, it, let's keep it moving. Uh, 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 Miss Mayflower, no questions. Gretchen Gailey, let's all keep right. it moving. All
6: right, calm down, Greg. <laughs> I'll go all day and all night. But I care about my fellow correspondents.
2: <laughs> Love you, Gretchen. Uh, up next. She's a patient and plant medicine advocate and founder of Purple Plant Magic on top of being Roz McCarthy's right-hand woman on the left coast for M4MM. She also has a gift for curating advocates, educating the masses, and inspiring beautiful shades of purple, which we might see in her hair if we ever see her again. Nicole Buffon, what do you have for us today?
1: (laughs) Thanks so much for that intro, Rico. Aloha, everyone from Hawaii. Um, It has been my honor to um, be a part of this event that happened in Hawaii this weekend. Um, So it was an evening with veterans and um, AMVETS, uh, which is a a government funded organization for um, American veterans, um, as well as CAMO, which is a locally um, uh, owned, Nonprofit here in Hawaii, um, and so the the post that's up here is more of a press release. Um, and in this press release, it talks about that this is going to be an evening only via Zoom online. Well, they changed that about two weeks ago uh, and decided to have the event at the Veterans Affairs office on an active Army base right here in Hawaii making history for the first time, having a conversation about cannabis and veterans on an active military base. It was amazing. Um, Leo Bridgewater was here um, uh, speaking on the panel and we watched the film called Unprescribed. If you have not seen the film yet, um, please look it up by Stephen Elmore. It's an amazing film talking about veterans Dr. Sue Sicily is also featured in the film. She was also one of the keynote speakers at the event on Sunday night, um, the Tripler um, military base. And she talks about her um, cancer um, diagnosis and how she used RSO to heal her cancer. Um, And so it's just an amazing opportunity to be a part of history in the making. This is the first event um, talking about cannabis on a military base at a Veterans Affairs office. Um, but it won't be the last. They're looking to take this opportunity um, all across the country. Montel Williams was also the keynote speaker, and he came and talked about his experience um, as a medical patient, as a cannabis patient, and what it means um, for veterans to have access to cannabis as medicine instead of opioids um, and antipsychotics. So uh, I, I just wanna say thank you to our M4MM family for coming and representing. Uh, we had a, we held a Dice Mixer on Saturday evening at Care Wailua um, Cannabis Farm here in Hawaii. It's one of the first co-op cannabis farms in the country. Um, and, and what Jason has done is provide medicine for cannabis patients here. It is still only a medical state, um, but he comes from the legacy market and he continues to grow in the co-op style despite all of the raids on his farm um, and despite the regulatory body here trying to put him out of business. Because uh, right now the that, the landscape for Hawaii is MSOs are here um, with the dispensaries that are available here on the islands. So I, I highly suggest that everybody go and find the movie Unprescribed, watch that, share it with your friends and family. Um, and if you get a chance to uh, make sure that you comment on what that movie means to you once you do watch it. So this is Nicole Buffong reporting live from Hawaii. I'd love to hear what my fellow correspondents think about this story.
0: I love this story, Nicole. Thank you so much for sharing it and sharing like your experience and with sue sisley and montel and stuff it just sounds like an all-star cast and a lot about healing with veterans so this is
7: great news thank you
5: yeah
7: i'll tell you the state of hawaii the the hawaiian cannabis community is so um really connected um i'm sorry i couldn't be there uh, with nicole just just going to hawaii alone is always a a pleasure i've been one time but the people are really, really fantastic. They're currently working on an adult use bill in Hawaii, and they are looking at different decriminalization um, aspects of the bill that they want to submit as well as social equity. So if you think that some of those conversations are not being ha- held on the island, they are. And you know, and if you ever get a chance to visit Hawaii, look up Kara-Walua, um, Jason, they're on the big island, Oahu. Um, it's just a beautiful, um, farm that's all about taking care of patients. So, um, thank you, Nicole. Um, I know this was a hard assignment for you, but thank you for being there and thank you for connecting our veterans to this really impactful conversation.
2: And hey, Nicole, r- real quick, um, uh, ha- has it gotten better on the ground there? I know we had, um, uh, I know we had an audience member mention like a couple of months ago, we had a story in Hawaii and an audience member, uh, mentioned there's not really any support like on the ground there for um local cannabis companies it's all msos and all outside players that are um that are making the moves out there has yeah it gotten that, to be better? that
1: has not changed there's only up to like 24 licenses for actual dispensaries that have been given here only eight people hold licenses here and then out of those eight people they can have up to three actual dispensaries and retail stores now not all of them have fulfilled those three stores those three max stores but yes they all Fall back on MSO money. Once you follow the money and trail the money, even it might be locally owned, but once you follow the money, you understand that they they are being funded by MSOs. Um, so that has not changed, but. People like Jason, like what Roz mentioned, Luau is an amazing facility. It's a co-op and he grows plants for hundreds and hundreds of patients on the island. And so he would be considered a local owner because he is not funded by MSOs. He's completely funded by community efforts because um, if you can't grow in your home, then he makes sure that he grows plants for you and gives you your medicine. So there are still... um, underground opportunity not underground because he's operating legally because it is a medical state so he is allowed to do that but what they are trying to do is push him out so there are efforts being made and, and he's counteracting with his own efforts um, but if you are in Hawaii, you gotta come visit Kewaluwau. It's it's an amazing facility, and and I went to the task force meeting yesterday um, here in Hawaii uh, that is debating dual use, which is adult use and medical use, and legalizing and what that legalization looks like. And so it was very interesting to sit in on that meeting, and I'll be reporting on that um, later this week.
5: Well, I can't you wait to so hear about that. I was just thinking, I one of the best parts of this story is really how it's connecting people who may not have an experience with cannabis with someone who is actually dramatically uh, improved or their health was dramatically improved by the use of cannabis and maintaining the medicinal component of our ecosystem, right, our structure of doing business, I think is, is in danger and I, I think it harms access. I think it harms patients in the long run and I think putting these stories back out there to remind people is really important. So thanks, I'm gonna look it up for sure.
2: Let's keep it moving, Jason.
4: Oh yeah, this beard was born and bred in New York. Maybe that's why this beard commands such a presence because baby it's cold outside. So cold that the beard was compelled to move to sunny Long Beach, California where the beard received a law degree. Known in the bar exam as the Brandon Beard Award for high scores. This intellectual IP attorney and CEO of Fruit Labs is none other than Brandon Dorsky. Let's go, Brandon. What do we
8: got for him today? Thank you. Today, my headline comes from Benzinga. It is, these companies just donated a ton of cannabis, literally, to help veterans, minorities, LGBTQ plus community, and HIV cancer patients. This quick dose of positivity here is coming from Benzinga reporting three California-based companies, two cultivators and a testing lab are making the largest purported compassionate donation of cannabis in state history. Cultivators PRO Farms and Almora have teamed up with testing lab Diable Bioscience to pledge and donate over five million worth of cannabis products to support health equity and Sweet Leaf Collective. PRO Farms and Almora are each set to donate over 2,000 pounds of state-tested California sun-grown cannabis, and Diable is set to donate tens of thousands of dollars in testing services. Sweetleaf Joe said, quote, with the growth of the retail cannabis industry and rising costs of regular goods such as groceries and gas, access to cannabis for low-income patients is harder than ever. We need corporate donations in addition to individual donations for going to meet growing demand. This donation will serve thousands of patients in California, including more than 1,000 patients currently on the waiting list. If you'd like to help, Sweetleaf is accepting financial donations to help organize patients through PayPal, as well as cryptocurrency. Will Crummer, the CEO of PRO Farm said, meaningful philanthropic donations are a foundational aspect of our overall company ethos. And in collaboration with Sweetleaf Collective, we're immensely proud to be donating so much high quality cannabis to so many patients in such need. Kristen Everhart of Almora's brand director and C.T. Dybel, CEO of Deibel Bioscience, were also quoted in the article, but this was basically a quick feel-good piece to let you know that a bunch of compassionate cannabis is being donated in the state of California. This is Brandon Dorsky reporting for the
7: State of Cannabis News.
5: Where are the cheers? <laughs> do we yeah. have a sound effect?
7: <laughs> hey, so Brandon, I got, a question. I got a question for you, Brandon. So if you have, when you do, when you donate, are you donating to the co-op? I mean, I thought there was like a, the whole um, matrix and tracking trace and you had to like, you know, track Ross, every Ross, place I, where I, it goes. I can
4: give you all your answers. Okay. So in California, we have a law called SB 34, which okay. allows a distributor to give product to a retail, which a retail can then give to a medical patient at free nice. zero cost whatsoever.
7: Nice, is that something and technically, that
4: Technically, any retailer can give any product away that they choose. And then they would have to submit a form to their distributor for a remittance of their excise tax that they previously already
7: paid. Right. So is that something that is is du- can be duplicated in other different states of as well, so. or is that nice? Thank you, Jason.
0: Relight. Thank you, everyone. Well grab your lighters, grab your bongs, grab your consenting adult partner, and let's relight this room. Let's smoke some more news from the State of Cannabis News Hour, and we're gonna have a quick update here from Robot Rico for us.
2: You are tuned in to the State of Cannabis News Hour, your daily dose. Viewer discretion advised. The opinions expressed in the State of Canvas to those of the individual speakers and not those of any other speaker, the State of campus, or its members. The statements made in the State of Canvas news Hour do not constitute legal or accounting advice in the State of campus and the speakers make no representation regarding the legal status of any exceptions in any country, area, or territory, or any authorities. The views expressed in this room do not establish any fiduciary relationship. The
7: sponsorships of the State of Canvas news Hour do not imply or constitute any endorsement by the State of campus or the expression of any opinion whatsoever on the part of the State of campus or any speaker.
0: Let's keep smoking the news.
2: Up next, she's an educator, brand strategist, healthcare consultant and founder of the Cannabis Business Council of Santa Barbara County. But also she's doing a phenomenal job keeping our show on the rails, despite conservative blocking because they're all anti-rail.
0: What's up Ms. Rogan,
2: what you got for us today? (laughs) (laughs)
0: Thank you for that amazing intro Rico and greetings everyone. Again, happy Tuesday. Thank you for joining us today and dealing with me. My story comes from Forbes by Robert Hart. The headline reads recreational cannabis not as harmless as people think study suggests. So I can't wait to hear everyone's feedback on this. But on Monday, a new study was published in BMJ Open Respiratory Research. Uh, the study was entitled Cannabis Use and Risks of More of Respiratory and All-Cause Morbidity and Mortality, a population-based data linkage cohort study. So this is, uh, it's basically this study suggests that recreational cannabis might not be as harmless as many think. Um, and so they're saying that overall in this study, recreational cannabis use is linked to a heightened risk of emergency care and hospital admission for any cause. These findings, um, they're Canadian researchers. They are calling for curbs on the rising level of recreational cannabis worldwide, saying that it's quite, quote, not as harmless as some people might think. Cannabis contains similar types and quantities of volatile compounds as tobacco, but the evidence on respiratory health is inconclusive and hotly tested. So the researchers looked at the potential associations between cannabis use and serious illness, which they determined was indicated by numbers of emergency room visits or hospital admissions for respiratory health issues. Those are two key points. So the researchers linked national health survey data and st- for over just over thirty-five thousand Ontario residents from ages twelve to sixty-five for six years from January twenty sorry, January two thousand nine to December twenty fifteen. The reason I use Ontario is because it's Canada's most populous province and ethnically diverse so they took into account 31 different factors including personal information physical and mental health conditions like indicators of you know uh, general healthcare use previously previous emergency room visits and other issues like tobacco smoking problem drinking and other substance misuse so they found that emergency room visits and hospital admissions for any reason as well as death from any cause were increased. They showed that cannabis users had significantly greater odds of an emergency room visit or a hospital admission for any cause. They found 22% of cannabis users, and they found that respiratory health reasons were the second most common cause. The first most common cause is acute trauma. That's 15%. So this is an observational study, and so it can not establish cause. The researchers acknowledged they weren't able to differentiate between medical and recreational cannabis, um, the potency and quantity, or whether the cannabis was eaten or smoked. And the study relied on individuals uh, recalling cannabis use rather than objective assessment. So the researchers say, quote, further research is needed to confirm our findings, but our results suggest that cannabis use is associated with increased risk for serious adverse health effects and therefore its recreational consumption in the general population should be discouraged. Well. This headline will unfortunately cause a lot of unnecessary fear mongering. But if you look into the data, there are many factors that could be a part of this. I personally have not experienced this or seen it in my life. And I would argue that quote, many quote recreational users are actually medical patients trying to deal with other conditions and their symptoms. But I will stop talking. I would love to hear your thoughts. This is Liz Rogan reporting for the State Cannabis News Hour.
9: Hi Liz, this is Dr. Mary Clifton. Thank you so much for, for bringing this article up today. This is, a, this is an important article. You know, the, the analysis of the data showed the overall odds of dying from any cause uh, didn't differ between cannabis users and non-cannabis users. There was no impact in mortality, in death. When the data was further stratified by gender, previous hospital care, smoking, or a diagnosis of COPD no significant differences. The only difference here is a greater odds of going to the emergency room or having hospital admission for any cause. And a greater odds ratio of 22% does not mean that 22% of people who are using cannabis are gonna go to the hospital through the er or require more admission it's an odds ratio so it's a it's a statistical probability that shows an increase so the 22% is a bit of an eye popper but it's intended to be an eye popper that's it's it's a statistical you know, sort of somersault so that the data looks uh, impressive to you. But 22% is not a remarkably interesting increase in the odds ratio. I mean, the, the other thing you wanted that they don't really talk about here is the number of people who are using cannabis, who may not be regularly going to the doctor and relying on the cannabis. This is Canada. So I mean, Canadians can get health care, but I don't know if all Canadians that can get health care aren't dealing with stigma surrounding their mental illness or uh, or their sleep disorder is not adequately controlled and they're using cannabis and their Western medically trained doctor may not agree with their cannabis use, so they may not necessarily. So, so there may be more medicinal patients here in their recreational community than uh, than you would initially imagine. So, I mean, I, I'm going to, I'm going to suspect that a lot of these people are are still falling through the cracks as medical patients, and as medical patients, you know, it should be. Not only stratified by gender and hospital care for a respiratory problem, but also stratified by um, their their current level of chronic disease and how many medications that they're taking chronically. I, I I think that they need to go back and do further assessment of this data to make sure that they're not, you know, missing the fact that people use cannabis when they already are dealing with chronic illness. And thank you again.
4: So- this this to me is nothing more than a puff piece of reefer more reefer madness out there and prohibitionist talk but I will tell you what there is a little bit of truth in this is the fact that if I had to smoke canadian booth weed this would probably happen
7: <laughs> yeah i thought it was really rich that the canadians reported on this and and they have been you know uh, a, a country with legalization for over the last two and a half years but are now reporting about you know these different incidents and you know almost making these claims like it should be claims for everyone to follow so i just thought it was pretty rich
5: we coming up next he's an
4: award-winning journalist with a multicultural background and fifth-generation Californian, known as a freedom-fighting farmer's friend, this writer, brand consultant, event promoter, and content ninja does it all in the name of uncovering the international truths that the mainstream media does not want you to see. It's none other than Eric S. Laredo.
3: Thank you mucho, Jason. Um, Hey everybody, great to be here today. I'm going to keep it rolling with the medical uh, vibe, and my headline is from the Beard Brothers blog, and it's chronic pain relief requires high levels of THC, according to study. So jumping right in, THC, known as the cannabinoid that gets you high, may actually have more medicinal benefits than originally thought, according to recent study. According to the new scientist, products with high THC, to cannabidiol, CBD ratios, appear to provide the most effective pain relief. Typically, CBD, the compound produced by hemp plants, is seen as a medical miracle, while THC is discarded as purely psychoactive and only good for getting high. Recently, though, a study conducted in, in Oregon attempted to free THC from the shackles of the DEA with a groundbreaking scientific study. Marion McDonough, Ph.D., Emeritus Professor of Medicinal Informatics and Clinical Epidemiology at the Oregon Health and Science University, said the goal of the study is to ascertain whether cannabis can treat chronic pain and how the THC to CBD ratio affects efficacy. McDonough and her team read extensively from prior research. Uh, We wanted to know, would cannabis for treating chronic pain have any kind of similar benefits to opioids? And of course, we really wanted to look deep into the adverse side effects, particularly the more serious ones, McDonough said. After searching through more than 3,000 studies, they finally came up with 25, which satisfied their strict requirements. These included studies that had lasted at least four weeks and included participants who had experienced various types of pain, including back pain, chronic headaches and diabetic neuropathy. In 18 of the 25 research studies, cannabis products were compared to placebos. In the end, more than 14,000 participants' data were incorporated in the analysis they selected, and the study intends to be updated on an ongoing basis, ensuring the most accurate, up-to-date data. While some cannabis products can help with mild to moderate pain relief, those with high THC to CBD ratios were the most likely to do so. Participants who used products with at least 98% THC claimed that their pain symptoms had decreased by about 30%, whereas there was no appreciable improvement in the pain symptoms of those who used products with higher CBD and lower THC content. The largest advantages were felt by patients with neuropathic pain. There's so much noise out there about CBD really being able to treat pain, McDonough said. This might help down the road to clarify what's true or not. Right now there's just not enough evidence. While people across the country deserve natural, accessible, and effective pain relief, creating medicine out of THC would require it to be declassified as a Schedule I drug by the DEA. They seem to avoid that by incorporating new literature about CBD and hemp into legal code, but the tables are turning. A lot of anti-THC law just comes from the fact that people in power do not want to see something psychoactive as potentially beneficial. They think a high automatically denigrates the positive impact of cannabis, and science is dead set on proving them wrong. I can tell you from my own anecdotal evidence um, that it's proved true. I've had a sports-related shoulder injury for about eight years and is a big believer in whole plant medicine. I never bought in all the, all the noise around CBD isolates. It started about a decade or so. Uh, the plant knows best, use all the cannabinoids. So I started applying 8-to-1s, 3-to-1s, et cetera, all higher in THC, and it's really helped me manage the pain over the years and avoid surgery. And that's what I've got today. I'm Eric for the State of Cannabis News Hour. Gracias for having me up.
9: Thanks so much for presenting this one today too, I was really excited to read this because in so many cases when people are um, using the high CBD products, like particularly in states with THC limits, and they don't get access to a high THC products, they, you know, they report that things just don't work for them. So especially in states with THC limits, we need to remind any of the patients listening you know, to go ahead and get those THC waivers because if you're not getting the uh, adequate pain relief from the high CBD products, the higher THC products do allow for some dissociation from the pain, similar to the way uh, opioids uh, are probably more effective for pain and that they really are, allow you to finally take your mind off of it the high is, in fact, an important part of the treatment.
0: I like this story so much because I think a lot of times we really focus on microdosing. And though that is very important to nudge your endocannabinoid system to move, there is really a place for these higher dosages also. And it's, it's really done the medical patients such a disservice with the, way that the rec- with the way that the licensing scheme has gone with dosing. So thank you, Dr. Mary, for reminding us about that waiver.
9: Oh, yeah, it absolutely has done a disservice to the to the medical patients because, I mean, you can talk about how you can intensify the uh, value of the THC by eating some mango with it or something, but for heaven's sakes, the high percentage THC is going to have a more medicinal value uh, it, 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 compared to a product with a lower THC and a really brilliant terpene profile. I mean, the, the terpene profile, the THC is still, uh, you know, a, a, an incredibly powerful compound component of the cannabis plant
4: well that's because the one thing these cbd only companies don't want to tell you is that you need to have certain amounts of thc in order to activate cbd for it to do anything in the first
2: place yeah yep.
9: yeah i mean but that's the
2: shit that the mainstream news outlets don't want you to hear jason Beck. keep it coming
9: <laughs> not a lot of data on the entourage effect but sure a lot of a lot of anecdotal data isn't there
4: Crossfading works
2: Yes, it oh. does. Let's keep it moving here, though. So up next, this badass Bay Area can mom with the voice of a speak easy jazz angels, the co-founder of the International Cannabis Bar Association, chair of the Bar Association of San Francisco Cannabis Law Section and the founder of the San Fran Equity Applicant Pro Bono Legal Project. But also still celebrating her birthday <laughs> from last Thursday because cancer season has begun and we need a full month of yes. celebrating because we're sensitive and shit. We <laughs> what you I got love for you, Rico.
5: Oh, that's awesome. I love that. Totally. I just I love the vibe of today's show. I mean, all of these stories about compassion and access and just doing good. Um, you know, thank you, everyone. I just love the vibe of today's show um you know coming out of a pretty tough weekend (laughs) despite the pride celebrations i just want to say thank you all for bringing so much positivity to this um my story is about um vermont actually and it's about vermont guidance looking to eliminate plastic waste from the state's cannabis industry it's by keegan williams for high times so hopefully this is another positive vibe kind of story Apparently, um, you know, it starts off talking about cannabis compliance, which generally means, quote, child-proof packaging for any products leaving the building often results in an abundance of single-use plastics that are more challenging to recycle than materials you might find at any ordinary store. Well, apparently, the Vermont Cannabis Control Board um, has issued guidance on packaging, in which it states that, quote, packaging that is intended for consumer purchase at retail locations shall be reusable and quote shall not be plastic the guidance points to glass tin, cardboard and bamboo uh, as uh, acceptable examples of packaging materials Um, so apparently the guidance also changes some standards for their packaging there Um, for flour and seeds it uses the phrase child deterrent packaging which according to the author means terror-resistant packaging that can be sealed in a way that would deter children under five years of age from easily accessing the content of the package within a reasonable time, while still being simple for adults to properly use and access, because that is important. Well, this differs from child-resistant packaging, which is what we have here in California and in most jurisdictions, um, which seems to be the default, I would think, in most jurisdictions. And according to the author, that quote includes packaging designed or constructed to be significantly difficult for children under five years of age to open or to obtain toxic or harmful amount of the substance within the container within a reasonable amount of time but that adults can easily use so it might be that uh, this is generally less burden uh, burdensome requirement um, and that they're also saying right that you can you can intentionally expand access to a different additional types of packaging while lowering the bar on the child resistance um, of that particular packaging. Um, and But the packaging for cannabis products, meaning cannabis concentrates and cannabis products that are composed of cannabis and other ingredients. Including edibles ointments tinctures and vape cartridges still have to be child-resistant and opaque So they only kind of made the adjustment for flour Um, The new guidance also makes way for a waiver It should be noted to the prohibition on plastic consumer packaging if the licensee can demonstrate a hardship in securing non-plastic packaging So I reviewed the guidance, it's only four pages long at best, because the author was a little bit marking on the next point and it clearly limits the reasons that a waiver can be granted to three specific instances. Um, Unavailability of non-plastic packaging, inability to achieve child resistance, or three, the necessity to preserve shelf life stability, prevent cannabis or cannabis product contamination, or to avoid exposure of the cannabis or cannabis products to toxic or harmful substances. The guidance does not mention it should be should be emphasized or does not mention that cost is a hardship and it goes on to state that um, a licensee must propose a packaging alternative that uses de minimis plastic in connection with the seeking of that waiver. Also, the article doesn't mention this, but the waivers apparently granted for one licensee would then be applicable to all licensees. So groups can move forward together seeking a waiver, split costs, or just rely on precedent, which is something we all thought we could do for the last 50 years, but apparently we can't. But you can in terms of packaging decisions in Vermont's um uh, cannabis community so in, anyway uh, that's about it on in terms of this article it goes on to talk a little bit about the history of vermont these packaging rules are going to be uh, put in place sometime later this year my name is laura de carl reporting for the state of cannabis news hour
10: hey laura uh, and, ha- and happy uh tuesday everyone i just wanted to say real quickly that the plastics do break down into smaller pieces, and I applaud Vermont for trying to, to make this move. These plastics get so small that they can get into your bloodstream, cross membrane barriers, and they're even found in the baby's first stool, which means that the mother ingested yeah. it in some kind of way. Um, they also did looked at lung samples of um, in 13 people and found 39 different types of microplastics there, commonly found like in plastic bottles, twine, clothing, and Boom, boom, boom! Surgical mask. Is Dr. Feliciano done speaking? Right.
5: Yeah, those are going to be a real big problem.
10: Didn't
0: they say that they found microplastics in our blood recently? Yeah
5: yeah. 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 I mean, it's 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 in the food cycle, right? I mean, it's it gets into like a cigarette butt goes down a drain, it goes into the bay that was eaten by a crustacean that is then eaten by a larger animal. It gets into the food system so easily, and there's just so much of it. Uh, any little thing we can do i think helps and i think this is a fantastic way to to demonstrate right that this can be done in a cannabis community and maybe bring sample guidance or legislation to our lawmakers and let them know right we want to make a difference we want to make a change we as an industry have always been at the forefront of seeking change and bettering the environment um and and bettering our 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 co-human circumstances so i think that this actually is inspiring to me and, and i'd love to see a movement um and that takes it forward in california what was what was that language used laura which language the the language of what the type of
4: packaging is called that's differentiated from uh child resistant packaging
5: oh uh child deterrent packaging now that
4: sounds like a common sense fix that all municipalities and states across the country should be
7: adopting well, they do already. When you have um, some of your medical states, before you can get your packaging approved, it has to be you have to send in actual, all the certifications that you have a child-resistant, child-deterrent type of packaging. Um, I, my question for Dr. Felicia was, so this is not just a cannabis industry issue from microplastics in, in ingesting or being able to be absorbed in our system?
10: No, it's it's plastic all over. <laughs> plastic bags every all the plastics that we are producing with our manufacturing processes are broken down over time into such small pieces that they are actually being you know consumed by animals and humans
9: now I mean, it's not just in the animals that. uh, Excuse me, sorry about that, Jason. It's not. It's not just in the consumption of animals, but plastics are like all of their home fragrances. Anytime you squirt a fragrance on your body or into the air, the maintenance of that fragrance is uh, is um, is done through plastics. You know, the fact that the fragrance doesn't dissipate quickly. Uh, There's a ton of plastics in your makeup that's not allowed in Europe, but that's allowed in the U.S. The phthalates. Uh, and, uh, and, and just in everyday consumption, every time you open a container of vegetables, they all have little bits of plastic all over them from the plastic container they came in or the bag they came in. It's a, it, the over plastic is a huge problem and it turns into estrogen for both men and women.
10: But you can find safe makeup if you go to EWG, uh, the Environmental Working Group's uh, website, ewg.org, and you can find makeup that is environmentally safe.
9: That's a good tip.
4: Or you could just go across the pond and go pick it up yourself.
5: In your private chat. It's the booth, free, below.
4: <laughs> well, coming up next, she's a Florida-based entrepreneurial badass leading the charge from the ultimate cannabis lifestyle brand, the Black Buddha Cannabis. Also the founder and CEO of Minorities for Medical Marijuana. Coming next to the stage and bringing us home, it's none other than Roz McCarthy
7: good morning everyone um yep bringing us home and just giving you an update from the state of florida um, this is from yahoo news 12 vie for one medical marijuana license reserved for a black farmer and worth up to 50 million dollars uh, florida voted to allow at least one of the licensees to be awarded to a farmer who has experienced historic discrimin- dis- discrimination 12 black farmers have submitted applications in florida for one loan medical marijuana license Um, and it's it's a guaranteed game changer. The license could potentially be worth $50 million. The opportunity was set in motion by Florida voters in 2016 and 17 for the amendment, which is amendment 21, uh, uh, amendment um, two, which passed over 73%. Black farmers are now in contention to grow medical marijuana, were a part of the long-time struggle to be paid for their work, per the Miami Herald. One of the license applicants must be part of the Pickford cases, the black farmers who sued the federal government in 1997, alleging that they had been discriminated against in gaining access to loans, debt restructuring, and other aid provided to white farmers. Though a uh, billion-dollar settlement was agreed upon in, to, in 2010. Um, According to the Herald, many of their original litigants have died, and others are in their 80s and 90s. So, while the Pickford farmers' bid for the license is an attempt to right a wrong, it's one that remains an uphill battle. So, again, I'm quoting myself because I did weigh in on this. The task is daunting, to say the the, the least, and that was really obvious in some of the responses, in my opinion. Ross McCarthy, CEO and founder of Minorities for Medical Marijuana, it took a it took us six years to get to this point to see to see that. And while well, I know what we were trying to get done, but this really looks like it didn't do what it was supposed to do. Black farmers face numerous obstacles to be considered for licenses, including a non refundable Department of Health fee of $146,000 just to make them um, bid. Applicants also share their stories of the challenges of farming in difficult and discriminatory conditions. Um, again, a total of 12 applicants have been named with varying details redacted in an attempt to protect their privacy. But according to public records, among them is uh, the Gwen Brothers from McAlpine, McAlpine Florida, which specializes in growing watermelons, and of course, there was Shedrick McGreef, whose family has owned McGrief Farms for 75 years. So this continues uh, right now. The state of Florida is probably in their um, in their um, in the period of reviewing and final review of applications. We won't know. Um, we should know maybe by the end of July who um, out of the 12 applicants who win or uh, who ones that one license. Um, from my perspective, um, I was on the scene. Um, when this first went down, this actually law to actually create this license, this license should have been awarded and and teed up way back in 2017 and 18. And it's just a travesty that it took almost four and a half years to finally get the one black farmer's license up and out. And um, I'm Roz McCarthy, signed off of the State of um, Cannabis NewsHour. We'd love to hear your thoughts.
2: I mean, how,
7: how how many
2: of these licenses were, were were promised to Black farmers? How many of these opportunities were promised to Black farmers, and they're fighting over one? Like, what the fuck?
7: It wasn't a promise. It was actually a statutory language that we could only get in. We could only get. Um, um, lawmakers and more so on the Republican side, I must be honest, to agree that there was discrimination in regards to these farmers having an opportunity and they would only allow just one, whereas there's been almost 22 other licenses that have been awarded. There's no Black-owned, minority-owned license type in the state of Florida. And remind you, Florida is a vertically integrated state, means you are responsible for for everything. And that's why the license for a to have a license in florida right now just the paper no infrastructure no anything no retail is worth 50 million dollars because no of... no
4: it's not worth 50 million or I was...
7: yes yes Jason no 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 is. the
4: last sale sold for 50 million But it doesn't mean that you're going to get 50 million in this market that's not a realistic
8: expectation
7: well i'm not what what i'm telling you is if the last one sold for 50 million in my eyes is worth 50 million when the next one sells for 45 then i'll reduce it to 45 but right now the last sold of a license just the actual license itself no infrastructure was anywhere between 45 50 almost 60 million dollars we've seen and it's just a travesty that this really it, it really blocks out people that want to have an opportunity in this ecosystem as well
4: so just so everyone's familiar the last license that was sold in Florida was a license that 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 true leave acquired that was harvest health and recreationals license in Florida and they sold it to planet 13 as a paper-only license and kept all their assets under their true leave license and that and they got 50 million from Planet 13, but to think that anyone in this market is gonna get $50 million for a standalone Florida license is just out of their mind.
2: Okay, different different debate for a different day. We gotta close the show out, it is 10.01. Let's get the close out, Liz Rogan, what you got?
0: Thank you so much everyone for tuning in. That was a great show. If you missed any of it, you can catch it anywhere you get your podcasts. Please subscribe and leave us a review. A big thank you to all the correspondents that comb through the headlines each day to bring us just what we need to know. A big thank you to Rico and Jason for co-producing the show today, and to our pin-up girl, Jaja Zamoan Brown. And thank you, audience, for being an important part of our show. You've had your daily dose. Now go out there and make a difference.
2: You've been tuned in to the State of Cannabis News Hour. Where we collectively move policy forward in an inclusive and sustainable way. Start your morning on a high note and join us every weekday, 9 a.m. Pacific time, for the State of Cannabis News Hour. Your daily dose. Bye. Free Britney <laughs> G. To the, my fuckers.
0: Seriously. Have a great day, y'all.